my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My Nana had me memorize the 23rd Psalm, I don't know, when I was about seven or eight, maybe. And she paid me good money to do it. <laughs> I was a little bit like the girl who boasted to her teacher that she knew the entire 23rd Psalm, that instead of reciting, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, recited in fact, emphatically, the Lord is my shepherd, that's it. My Nana thought having that psalm memorized was a necessary life skill. Her daughter, my mother, was a bit more practical. And instead of teaching me the psalms, was determined that I learn how to drive a stick shift in case, and I quote, you are stuck in the middle of nowhere and have to escape, and the only vehicle available is a manual stick shift. You will be able to get out of nowhere. And that has come in handy, though not in the survivalist scenario. Psalm 23rd, though, has helped me in some really, really tough spots in my life. The image of God as Good Shepherd is a wonderful way to think of God and our relationship to God as, as, as protecting, as nurturing, as inclusive, as, as knowing we belong, as being identified as God's, as being cherished. And language about God is so important. Language about God matters, and that language the Good Shepherd, and Good Shepherd Sunday is what we celebrate today, always the fourth Sunday in Easter. And because this year, Good Shepherd Sunday and the secular holiday of Mother's Day coincide, my, my prayer and my, my research and my reading for the sermon today went um, in a, in a direction of expanding my exploration of how we talk about God beyond the shepherd image towards feminine and maternal images of God in the Bible. But in fact, there's so much that I, I wish I could explore in depth today with these scriptures and themes, God the Good Shepherd, the feminine images of God, what shepherds and shepherdesses like, like Rachel and, and Moses' wife and, and maybe Rebecca and Leah, their importance in, in the economy of their day, the peace and community activist roots of Mother's Day, which is incredibly interesting and, and relevant to our day. I'd like to, to talk about the significance of Tabitha's ministry, Tabitha Dorcas, who was restored to life by Peter in the, uh, as told by our lesson in the 
Acts of the Apostles today, all of this, we could do so much. Uh, we could have classes and, and the longest sermon ever, but I won't. I will only get to the tip of the iceberg. And just remember this. All the biblical language, all our beautiful language for God is also just barely the tip of the iceberg. But the metaphors we use help us comprehend how close and loving God is, but they are not totally comprehensive of God. So our language helps us comprehend God to some extent, but it does not express comprehensively all that God is and does in our world. As theologian Lynn Japinga wrote, language about God should help us understand and encounter God, but we should not confuse the reality of God with the limits of our language. And here at Trinity, we don't use that much what they call expansive or inclusive language. We use a lot of very traditional language. So today is as appropriate as any other occasion to explore and to recapture the biblical feminine images for God to help us further truths about God. People described God in feminine terms because feminine or maternal language says something true about God and about our experience of God. God is beyond any gender. The gender pronouns are simply metaphors to help us understand God who is always beyond our full understanding. For this next section, I just want to share with you just, just a sampling of some of the feminine and maternal images for God in the Bible and, and, and how they help us talk about God. And um, a lot of this, these quotes um, are based on a beautiful essay by an Asian Canadian theologian um, by the surname of Chong. And you can find his work on the Junia Project website. So one of the common images is God as a mother bird sheltering her children under her wings. And we, we hear that image in Ruth in, in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 12, where she says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And many, many psalms also use the image of wings and, and as, a, as a feminine or maternal image. Psalm 17, Hide me under the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge in the shadow of of your wings until the disaster has passed. There's a verse from Psalm 57. And Jesus uses these images when he laments over Jerusalem in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and says, Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Song says that these images paint God as protecting and sheltering, like the Good Shepherd image that we celebrate today. And there's a variation of this image which paints God who also pushes God's children to be independent and to grow stronger. Mother eagles are known to teach their young ones to fly by deliberately pushing them out of the nest and then catching them before they plunge to their doom. So not a sweet, sentimental version of motherhood, but one that we do find in the Bible. From Deuteronomy, it says, God guarded Jacob as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, then spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The prophet Isaiah was very fond of using feminine imagery for God. One example, he says, For a long time, I, God, have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. All these images about God helping to the fulfillment, bringing forth life, and to the fulfillment of a full life. There's another sort of fierce image from Hosea, from chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Also not a sweet and sentimental image. <coughs>
time that the church was being birthed and forming, widows were not considered to be valued in and of themselves. They were on the margins of society, and so this Tabitha, this Dorcas, this disciple gave her life to the service of those who were most devalued. Helping to bring wholeness and healing to those who had been cast aside. A wonderful example to uphold. In the second century, Clement of Alexandria mixed his metaphors and his descriptions of Christians nursing at the breast of God the Father. The medieval mystic Meister Eckhart described God's activity. What does God do all day long? God gives birth. From all eternity, God lies on a maternity bed giving birth. So whether you are grieving this day or celebrating, whether your human mother is far away or right next to you. God, our father and mother, calls us into a life of service, calls us into a community of inclusion, calls us to value this life that we've been given calls us to nurture and protect in ways both brave and fierce. Much later than the second century, we hear again this image of Jesus as mother. In a prayer from Anselm of Canterbury, a Benedictine monk, philosopher, uh, who held the office of Archbishop of Canterbury from 1093 to 1109, he writes a prayer to St. Paul, and he appeals to the motherly love of Christ to comfort and console. And, and he says, and you, Jesus, this prayer, and you, Jesus, are you not also a mother? Are you not the mother who, like a hen, gathers her chicks under her wing? Truly, Lord, you are a mother. For both they who are in labor and they who are brought forth are accepted by you. And the prayer goes on. So I reiterate what we hear so much. Our invitation, our call as Christians, in a world where, where death seems so easy, where children now have to become heroes in their own schools and learn how to sacrifice themselves instead of learn basic lessons on life. We are called to witness in expansive ways 
to the God who labors for the healing and wholeness in our lives. And so I end with this prayer that I love from Julian of Norwich. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. It ends with the familiar words that we say most desperately and hopefully in times of trouble. All shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And it's not a Pollyanna verse from a Christian mystic. It's a prayer of hope that begins, as truly as God is our father, so just as truly is he our mother. In our Father, God Almighty, we have our being. In our merciful Mother, we are remade and restored. Our fragmented lives are knit together, and by giving and yielding ourselves through grace to the Holy Spirit, we are made whole. It is I the strength and goodness of fatherhood, she writes. It is I the wisdom of motherhood. It is I, the light and grace of holy love. It is I, the Trinity. I am the sovereign goodness of all things. It is I who teach you to love. It is I who teach you to desire. It is I who am the reward of all true desiring. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well.